All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world, and you're a part of it wherever you are. Folks, I'm not in Jerusalem right now. I'm not in Beit Midrash Salam Yaakov, and not uh, on the Mount of Olives, nor am I in Hebron. I'm in JFK Airport, Long Island, looking out at the Long Island right now, and I'm very excited to be coming back home. I see the El Al airplane, the Zderot airplane it's called. It's uh, one of the smaller airplanes, and it's ready to, it's getting ready to take us home to the land of Israel. But it felt like I was home in some way because I was at the APAC conference, American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. 20,000, almost 20,000 delegates from all over the United States and Canada came to strengthen the American-Israel relationship and to show their love for Israel, mostly Jews, many non-Jews as well, and it was awesome. By the way, you are listening to uh, this show on thelandofisrael.com, Land of Israel Radio Network. Very proud to be part of it. Of course, my email, yishai at thelandofisrael.com. And while I was in Washington, D.C., I was so excited to do a lot of radio with you. I interviewed the top people that I met, you know, everybody from like Michael Warren, who I saw walking and accosted him and had a great conversation with him. Lots of people I wanted to interview, but it was just too busy. And when I was heading to the airport today, I knew that a colleague of mine, somebody who spent uh, a lot of time with me down in D.C. and somebody who I really respect in the great work that he does, uh, was going to be at the airport. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if Avi Zimmerman... Uh, the uh, executive director of American Friends of REL would be at the airport. So I got to the airport. I was dead beat tired. Suddenly I see Avi. There he is. He's sitting there, and there's a chair next to him. We're in the airport. Avi Zimmerman, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Yishai. Yishai, I think the last time we did an interview, we were actually on the airplane itself. Not on the way here. I don't know if you remember that. goes back some ways. Maybe a year or two ago. Maybe it wasn't the last time. One of the recent interviews. We did it... Uh, on the airplane. So I want to thank you, Yishai, for finding a seat next to me before we get on the airplane because <laughs> I'm tired yes. and I hope to sleep <laughs> on that airplane. I'm a little tall. I don't exactly fit inside the seat, but I will do my best. You are actually at least a head taller than I am. You are quite a tall Jew. Um, and I, I can't believe that you're not flying business or something because it is just it is sardine-like in there. I just go catatonic. That's the only way I make it through these flights. Listen, Avi. Uh, I, I, I just, I'll tell you about my feelings. I just went through APAC with you. For me, it was like seminal. And this is at least my fourth, maybe fifth APAC convention, the policy conference. But this one was different. It was just different. The, the mass, the size. And I think also the fact that the almost 20,000 delegates were moved uh, by bus and also just walked over to the Verizon Center and got to see this view of all these people who are pro-Israel and got to see top candidates in an election he year here in the United States, it was just electric. The, the whole atmosphere was electric. Was it the same for you this year? You know, uh, I actually happened to... First of all, I don't go to APAC as often as you do. This is my second APAC conference, and I really went because of some positive peer pressure from you and some of our colleagues who said, really, we need to have some sort of a low-key, but nonetheless some sort of a presence of folks from Judea and Samaria. And it was exciting to be part of that dynamic, I have to say, and to know that that, part of that that kind of a dynamic is part of something, as you said, much, much larger. 
everybody part of something really big. By the way, I think it wasn't mostly Jewish delegates. I'm told from someone on the uh, APAC inner circle that it's really only about 50% Jewish. APAC has reached out not only to the evangelical Christian community, they've reached out to minority communities, to the uh, black and Latino communities, and we're seeing people that are not necessarily even coming out of a faith orientation, but out of an American orientation, understanding that they need to be part of the America-Israel relationship. So, um, Seminole, I don't know. I want to think that. I don't know for certain. We've had a hard year with the America-Israel relationship. I'm speaking now specifically about the Iran deal. Um, challenging, disappointing. It was very clear when all the delegates spoke, whether it was from the de Democrat side or the Republican side, that the people in that room are not pleased with the Iran deal, and for good reason. It's not enough to just be part of APAC. We're allowed to say, you know what, we've had some, I don't want to say failures, but we're not where we need to be. Uh, a little disappointing, by the way, that the one Jewish lead candidate, I have to say it, he just didn't show up. Now, I'm sure he was very busy campaigning where nobody else apparently has a campaign to run. Very disappointed that the Jewish uh, lead candidate was not there. But uh, I think the people who have a chance of being president of the United States of America were there, and they understand that that's an arena that they want to be involved in. It, it was highly televised, these speeches by uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, by Governor Kasich, by Senator Cruz and by Trump. Uh, they were televised, it made national news, C-SPAN covered it live. It was big stuff. Um, and that's of course because it was an election year. And here's an interesting uh, um, matrix, an, an interesting kind of juxtaposition in that, in that APEC is really all about the America-Israel relationship, but at the same time, there was a big focus on the American elections per se. And what the candidates were basically saying were, I'm coming here to APAC to talk about why you should vote for me because of my relationship with Israel. Which is weird, right? It's like, here's a lot of successful American Jews, and the issues that they were talking about were not American economics, was not really American security, although you know there was a crossover there, but it was about a different country. It was like a different country. And that's, that's a kind of weird thing. You know, in America, there's this kind of concept that you're not supposed to have dual loyalties. But here it was like the, the, if, if, if the, if the uh, candidate wanted the people at APAC to vote for him or her, they had to talk about their love and interest in a strong and secure Israel. Does that make sense? Or is that some kind of uh, dichotomy that, that can't really be bridged? I actually think that that is specifically APAC's greatest achievement. The ability to create an environment where government, leading government people, uh, candidates, want to be talking about Israel. Again, we need to, to question, is there success in terms of policy where we want it to be, right? But in terms of putting, making, putting Israel on the map and letting every candidate know that you better be, I hate to say the word, but perhaps even kissing up to this pro-Israel community, not exclusively Jewish, but the pro-Israel community, I think that's really where APAC uh, shines. You know, I don't know about kissing up. I think it's really part of the, we're not used to it in Israel, but that's really part of the system here in America. You want to get your voter, and you want to say to the voter, I represent your values. That's, that's actually like a democracy. That's what they're there to do. I heard all the speeches. Um, I was actually impressed by, by uh, Vice President Biden's speech. A lot of people were angry. I, I, I knew that he was going to be pro-Iran deal and anti-settlements, which are two issues that I care about. But on the other hand, 
I thought he gave a masterful just in terms of a speech, the ability to, to present the speech. He's, not, he's no spring chicken. He just nailed it, in my opinion. But there's no question in my mind that the big show that everybody was excited about, nervous about, talking about, was Trump coming to uh, the policy conference uh, at APAC in Washington, D.C. And frankly, I don't think he disappointed. He came into a room where there was a lot of doubt if he was going to pull it off, if there was going to be booing or walking out. The opposite. Electrify the room. I think one of the things that Trump did uh, very uh, carefully, cautiously even, and he's not known to be cautious, was he spoke about numbers, facts. He wanted to not just speak uh, from off the cuff. He wanted to give you an understanding that he's studied the issues, he knows what he's talking about, and he wants to also up at one. He wants to take things to the next level. He wants to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He wants to make it perfectly clear that he is not going to impose or coerce Israel into anything. Lots of people said that. He was far clearer on these issues. And so definitely that's, that, that is his way. He likes to get clear. He want, likes to get the one up. He wants to make sure that everybody in the room knows that he's about to have a Jewish grandchild. And so, yes, um, he did that pretty effectively. I think the crowd definitely, although the crowd is not particularly Republican-oriented, uh, the crowd definitely rose to its feet and clapped. And re- the, 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 it, it resounded far more powerfully with him than with any of the other people that got up to speak. Right. Like I, 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 would, I would say that if there was one man in there who sounded, I said this before to you and you kind of corrected me, it's not that he sounded presidential. It's that he sounded like he wants to win and can win, uh, become the president through winning over the United States of America. It was definitely him, in my opinion. I definitely think that he was the star of the show, in my opinion, by far. Um, And he even won over, I think, some liberals. One of the ways that he won over, I think, people is also that he was quite critical of the... uh, It was easy to be critical of Iran in that room, but he was also very critical of the Palestinian Authority. And I thought that the line of the night was when he said... Look, in societies where they emulate, uh, what did he say? What was the first one? Firefighters, kids grow up to be firefighters. In a society where they emulate a sports uh, a s- a success and actors, people grow up, to, kids want to grow up to be actors. In a society where you emulate killers and suicide bombers, that's what kids grow up to be. And I thought that was a very powerful indictment of the Palestinian Authority. And I thought that that cut through the issues. There's a bad out there. There's a neo-Nazi ideology that's in our land, and he was like, this is what's going on. I'm going to fight it. I think you're right. I think there's, a, there's been for way too long too much political correctness around the Israel issues, around the Palestinian issues, and there are some things where you just have to call a spade a spade. You have to draw a line in the sand. You have to say, this is not right, and he was not afraid to call people out. He was not afraid to call out a community. Um, he was also not afraid to talk about you know, moving forward and you know, finding solutions, et cetera, et cetera. I also think that that et cetera, et cetera, though, is important. Meaning, yes, I agree with you. He was more electrifying than anyone else in the room. That's correct. But uh, we have to be careful never to, and, and I'm, I'm not giving anyone a recommendation on who to vote for or what party to be associated with, but we always have to be careful to distinguish between the way a, a person sounds as an orator and their ability to execute, and what are they going to execute? And I think the United States of America has learned that during these last two terms of presidency. Uh, There is a lot of disappointment in someone who's a great orator, but let's look at the bottom line. 
Now, um, I, I definitely agree with that, and I'm also not advocating a candidate, but I'm also not disadvocating a, ca- a candidate. I, I, I don't think, let's put it this way, when it comes to the Trump issue, I, I, am a get, I am not in the same camp as those people who just say, you know, he's a Nazi and you can't vote for him, and that whole language that I'm hearing quite a lot from friends. Uh, I disavow that. I'm against that. Uh, in any case, um, you're absolutely right uh, uh, about, uh, about leadership and real leadership. At the same time, I do feel that this country is looking for a change. Uh, it's looking to... You have to be careful when you use that word, Yishai. That's right. Change is not a bad thing. And you have to uh, be careful when you use words like, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Hope. That's change. right. Change. There's other well, people who have taken that as their domain. Right, but they don't own it. And, and I'll, I want to now shift gears for a second to a topic that's closer to you and me. And um, You and I may be Americans, uh, but we our passion is Israel. And you and I actually have interesting complementary jobs, uh, what we do with our life. You are the uh, international director, the executive director uh, of the Ariel Foundation, uh, which is basically there to support the town of Ariel. Ariel, one of my favorite places in Israel, seriously, is the capital of Samaria. Uh, It's a place where there's a great research university. It's a place where there's... Uh, a, a, a very diverse community, and it overlooks um, it overlooks Tel Aviv, and yet it's the capital of Samaria. Our country is very small, and your town and the university and other parts of the town uh, have made tremendous uh, inroads into normalization. Something that my town that I represent, which is Hebron, capital of Judea, on the other side, uh, has yet man- has not yet managed to do for many reasons. Uh, but you and I were not only there to enjoy APAC and to learn and to see and to and to be in classes and 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 the and the big events, uh, the big plenary sessions at, at Verizon or to be in DC. We're there also as lobbyists, not only as lobbyists like other APAC delegates are going to be lobbying uh, on the Hill uh, and in their state legislatures. No, we are actually lobbying within APAC, if I may say, which is for the issues of the rights of Jews to live in Judea and Samaria in security, historical rights, ancestral rights. We want our country, Israel, to recognize us fully. We want the world to recognize us fully. We want uh, the next stage of Zionism, which is to populate and normalize life in Judea and Samaria. And we did that kind of lobbying, including an event uh, that both you and I spoke in, run by the uh, One Israel Fund, co-sponsored by the Yesha Council, and yourself from Ariel, myself from Hebron, spoke there, uh, and, and we had people that came from the conference to this side event to celebrate, to drink the, the wine of Judea and Samaria, to say, yes, Jews belong in Judea and Samaria, and also to say that the two-state solution, much touted for the last 20 years, including at APEC, including at APEC this year, still touted as the two-state solution, we came to say, maybe there's another way. You did a lot of, I saw that you had a lot of meetings, you did a lot of speaking, you were at that big event that we had in other events. Tell me about this issue of Judea and Samaria without, within APAC. I think you used the right term before, Yishai, when you used the word change. And again, we're using it carefully, but we're using it also uh, intentionally. We need to change a conversation within the pro-Israel community. I would even suggest, dare say, within the anti-Israel community. The conversation today does not include Judea and Samaria. The problem is not that APAC is against us, heaven forbid. Many people in high places in APAC are very for Judea and Samaria. 
The problem is not that they're for us because, well, that certainly wouldn't be a problem. They're neither here nor there. Much of the Jewish establishment in the United States and around the world has opted not to touch Judea and Samaria. They call it controversial. They have the, perhaps there's been some scare tactics you mentioned for decades, yes, for decades, to say, you know what, easier not to touch it. There's a problem with that, though. Everybody from, and I'm speaking now on the left, um, from Martin Indyk to Thomas Friedman, have been informing the presidential candidates on both sides of the aisle, folks, the two-state solution is dead. The two-state solution is neither two states, it's, depending on how you count it, it's certainly not two, and it's certainly not a solution. And so if not that, then what? Well, before we answer the question, if what, we need to also understand that there's a group of people that's not being asked that question. They're not allowed to participate. They've been so marginalized, so disparaged, so identified as the bad guys for so long, nobody even wants to hear what they have to say. And that, of course, is the residents of Judea and Samaria. They've been called settlers as a terminology that's used to marginalize. You could suggest that the term settler is a positive term, something that speaks to pioneering. That's not the way that it's used. And so if we understand the context, which is an anti-settler campaign that's been, by the way, in the, in the spheres of public relations, propaganda, very successful. We need to start the conversation by saying, hey, you know what? Conversation includes different voices with, from different places. In fact, that conversation needs to focus on the fact that there is within the quote-unquote settler or Judea and Samaria community, there are different voices. There's a Yishai and there's an Avi. Yes, Yishai, I think, full, full disclosure, right, we went to elementary school together. We were a great apart, but we have a history all the way back in New Jersey of the United States of America, or some people would say next to the United States of America, whatever. Um, but we have kind of that common history. You also have a common history where our, our points converge in the land of Israel, in the biblical heartland of Israel. But we have also different stories that need to be told. And if people would just understand that there's so many layers to this, that there's no such thing as a settler, but there are different communities, different people, different ideologies. We could make the conversation more three-dimensional, and then we could start really thinking through quote-unquote solutions, or what I like to call approaches. We're at JFK Airport. We are looking at the runway. Uh, Lear jets are passing us. Our airplane, the El Al's de Road airplane, uh, is uh, fueling up gearing up and we are sitting here in the lounge with uh, fellow travelers and I mean that in the literal sense not in the old communist sense we are uh, fellow travelers here uh, going back to the land of Israel and I'm sitting with Avi Zimmerman who is the director of American Friends of Ariel Ariel is literally one of my favorite places in the land of Israel it's such a combination uh, of the past and the future on the one hand the capital of Samaria not far from the tomb of Joseph, on the other hand, uh, developing robotics on the highest level and even bringing out the past by researching uh, Judea and Samaria, ancient wine uh, and, and grape, what are they called, grape uh, types, what are those? The, the different species. Species. Different species. So that's all happening at REL. And um, I, Yishai Fleischer, am of course uh, representing the Jewish community of Hebron. Uh, where the matriarchs and the patriarchs are buried, where the founders of the Bible are interred, and uh, where I think the world owes uh, to pay homage to the founders of uh, Western morality and monotheistic civilization. Avi, um, you mentioned something that I want to ask you about, and that is, you said that we're from New Jersey. 
Uh, I was born in Israel and then moved to uh, to America, to New Jersey, but I certainly became naturalized here in both the literal and the figurative sense. Uh, uh, the fact is, is that we're doing a show in English right now. Good English, I hope. Good enough. And you and I chose a different path than the APAC path. The APAC path, and I heard Rabbi Stephen Weil from the OU say it so succinctly, the APAC path is that the homeland is the United States and the motherland is Israel. I thought that was so spot on. Homeland versus motherland. And I could, you know, the more I grow older now, I can understand that mindset. I can understand what it is to love America and to choose to live life here and to still love Israel. But you and I, we didn't take that, that route at all. We took the route of becoming Israelis. And as we're at APAC, we're a different breed. Instead of being a pro-Israel American, we're a kind of pro-American Israeli. And we're out there connecting to our brothers and sisters. On the one hand, we're just like them. On the other hand, we've chosen a completely different life. We're actually out there on the front lines, uh, not just lobbying for Israel, but actually just putting our lives in every way. And just the fact that we're raising our children there, or the fact that we're working there and paying taxes there, and the fact that we vacation there. Like, the whole package is that we've put our lot with that passion while still being, in a lot of ways, people who understand America. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your impressions of, of APAC from, from that tension, from that vantage point. As, as, a, as an American, Israeli, Israeli, American, whatever it is, I get confused, who's coming from Israel to APAC and meeting our brothers and sisters uh, the slogan this year was come together. We came together. How did you feel dealing vis-a-vis -vis, uh, our sisters and brothers who could be in Israel but choose to be here? Did you feel the love? Uh, did you feel the connection? What, what were your thoughts? I have to say my favorite part of APAC was not when I was inside the general session or in the Verizon Center. It was when I was walking to and from my hotel and stopped at a crosswalk and some of those crosswalks in DC you could just st stand there for a while and since the entire town was 18,000 delegates and if you were in a certain radius of the Verizon Center and the Convention Center you were at APAC right if maybe you had to look at the guys you know lanyard around his neck no, but APAC APAC spread out it was all it was over like the place. locusts it we, was all over we the were place. there and we were crossing the street to the Verizon Center I'm like is this the Red Sea here what's going on so every like time I was at a crosswalk I just struck up a conversation with whoever was next to me. Right. Where are you from? And, and again, I'm standing at a, at, at a random corner in Washington, D.C., and we're all talking about Israel. And for me, that was, that was that come together, it was powerful. And I think everybody had a strong sense of that. And the flip side is also the case, meaning what you've just described is, yes, we come together with, you said, Hebron. In my case, where I live in Ariel, we come to the, together with Israel. But there is something about standing out sometimes and not being counted. When you move to Israel and you go to Judea and Samaria, you're not one of the pack. You, ha you make a move and you say, I'm doing this on my own. There's something, it, it, it doesn't sound good, but there's something in some way, perhaps at a certain transition point when a person makes Aliyah, they move to Israel, they ascend, where there's a little bit of loneliness. And there's a little bit of I'm out I, I've got to do something. I've got to step out of the familiar. And so there, what I'm saying is in no way a criticism of those who don't, do not or have not had the opportunity. It is just a point that I think we all choose our challenges. There's a challenge to be in that room with so many people. 
and want to be part of something, but also want to move the dial in your own specific direction. And so there's also a, there's a tension in that room because everybody knows we got to be both sides of the aisle. We got to bring everybody on uh, on the team. But I have my own politics. How do I do that? That's its own dynamic. And then there's another dynamic. It's called being the spokesperson of Hebron. It's called stepping out and saying, no one else is doing this. I've got to do this. And so, yes, you're right. There's a back and forth. I think the predicaments happen to be very, very different. At the heart, at the source, they're very different. The, the personal experience is different. I get your point very much. Um, and, and I came up with a formulation which people didn't like so much. It's interesting. And that's also okay, exactly what you said. Sometimes you've got to get out there and say things that maybe aren't necessarily popular, which is, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to push you to make Aliyah American Jews. I'm going to say, you know what? You know where the, the, the door is always open, sisters and brothers. Not only that, I love it when you're here, but I'm not going to push you as much. But I would like to ask you not to push me off my land. Don't tell me to get out of Judea and Samaria from here. And I won't tell you that you have to come home and that's what makes you a good Jew. Let's make an agreement. And that agreement is not based on a divorce. The opposite. It's like, look, let's respect each other's space. Respect me that I'm, I got my issues and that I know what I'm doing out there. And I'll respect the fact that you've chosen this lifestyle and I'm going to hold you tight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we're going to be family. We'll do FaceTime, okay? We'll do FaceTime. That's exactly what it was. It was like FaceTime with American Jewry. And I, I did feel the love. And I felt good about um, uh, actually accepting, maybe almost for the first time in my life, accepting that there's an American Jewry and that's the way it's going to be. Uh, and at the same time demanding that they accept me. Uh, that, that I have a right to live in my ancestral homeland. That, that's fascinating what you're saying, Yishai. Um, you know, Yishai, if you recall, it's been, it's been a busy couple of days, so I'm not sure what you remember in the blur. But in the blur, there was a, a session that you and I both attended on Shabbat. It was by uh, someone who I know back from the days in Yeshiva, Dr. Yehuda Kurtzer. He's now at the Hartman Institute. And he had a whole presentation about the different ways of understanding the Israel and American diaspora Jew relationship, right? And I'm sitting there, and I was pretty, pretty open to listening to these ideas. Uh, my buddy, Mark Provisor from Shiloh and the One Israel Fund, sitting next to me, he was, <laughs> he was jumping out of his seat. He, he wanted to ask the next question because the whole presentation was not only very accepting of the fact that there's a diaspora, a diaspora in the United States, but almost kind of... Um, you know, really giving it a, a strong platform. And there was one guy who did manage to get a question in there. His name was Yishai Fleischer. Perhaps you know him, Yishai. And um, he got up and he said, you know what, Dr. Kurtzer, all of the, and correct me for paraphrasing, Yishai, but all of the examples that you've given of diaspora Judaism that uh, spoke of its own success, actually in each one of those three examples, those communities were one way or another decimated. They were decimated first, they were lost first, or lost completely, and it makes you think, it makes you wonder, um, what are we building? And so it's a legitimate question because Israeli Jews have a tendency to say to their American brethren, when are you making Aliyah? And usually that doesn't come off very well. It just doesn't. It's not going to. It, you know, it sounds condescending, and I think much in the same way that when an American Jew tells an Israeli Jew living in Hebron, when are you getting off of that land, it's also condescending. So we both appreciate both sides of the equation, 
But I think you did have an insightful point in that question. Um, I think Dr. Kurtzer's presentation was great, but I also think that your question was better than his answer. And, and he definitely fumbled the answer, I think. Uh, he just, uh, he, he really didn't have an answer to that. And, and again, it was coming out of love. It was coming out of love because the, the, the cases that he gave uh, of, of diaspora jury were all, as you pointed out, as you remember correctly, were just all cases of failure. Uh, for example, he mentioned the, 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 uh, the, the fight between Lot or Lot and Abraham, and he said, okay, they split up the family, and that's okay to split up the family. I said, Lot's children became a completely different nation, two different nations who actually became enemies of the Jews. Is that what you want American Jewry and Israeli Jewry to become? Uh, and, and that was a question that I don't think he answered. In any case, um, that is a fascinating, we had a fascinating discussion just now. And you know what? Mir mirroring that discussion is where we are right now. Where are we? We're at JFK Airport. I see Hebrew on the airplane. The airplane is right across from me right now. I see it on the tarmac. It says Zderot, uh, a Jewish town in the Negev, been attacked by a lot of rockets. We're sitting amongst many people who are Israelis or going to Israel. We're practically already in Israel emotionally and spiritually. We're kind of like, we're out. We're going home. Um, at the same time, we're in America. <laughs> we're very much in America, very much not only that, we're on Long Island which is a place where there's a lot of American Jews, a lot of American Jews who love Israel. It's a fascinating tension. It's a fascinating topic. But I want to say that with all that, I did very much appreciate the opportunity to stand shoulder to shoulder with my fellow brothers and sisters, American Jewry, who loves Israel. We do share values. We do come together. And I really believe that at APAC, I came together with many American Jews, and I came, to, I came there with love. There's just nothing like standing together with all of those people pledging allegiance to the United States of America, a great country, one that has welcomed the Jewish people in, and of course with a yearning and a desire to see a secure and built state of Israel, and in our case also agitating, teaching, and, and moving the dial, as you said, uh, on the issue of Judea and Samaria. Avi Zimmerman, you are the uh, director, uh, the executive director of, uh, in, of American Friends of Ariel, your website. Friendsofariel.org. Friendsofariel.org. The website is great. Check it out. Go to friendsofariel.org. But do me a favor. When you are next in Israel, you must check out Ariel. It is really a phenomenon. You want to see what success in Judea and Samaria looks like. It's Ariel. Really my one of my favorite universities. I'm always angling for a way to do something there, get a degree, figure it out, connect some way, because it's just such an amazing place. Lots of love from JFK. You are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show on thelandofisrael.com. Write me an email, Fleischer at thelandofisrael.com. Connect on Twitter, Facebook, and all of the above. Uh, uh, by the way, also on LinkedIn and YouTube, all that. Are you Ishai on Instagram? Fleischer. Uh, I uh, Instagram annoys me a little bit, so you I... You gotta uh, do Instagram. Okay, I'll do Instagram. I, I, I just, Everybody I don't know. 30 years and, uh, and, and under is on Instagram. Yeah, you're right. No, I have an Instagram account. It just gets under my skin. I don't want to see everybody else's pictures, I guess. <laughs> in any case... All right, in any case, uh, the picture from here is clear from JFK and boarding the Zderot, Air, Air, uh, the Zderot Boeing of El Al. Avi Zimmerman, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you, Yishai. And thank all of you. Stay tuned. More great stuff is on the way. And Shalom. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show here on thelandofisrael.com. I do want to remind you that my day job, my incredible job, is to represent the Jewish community of Hebron. Check out our website, hebron.org.il, or if you can't remember that, just hebron.com. 
thelandofisrael.com is an incredible radio station with uh, great sounds out of the heartland of the land of Israel. So uh, check us out and write me an email to yishai at thelandofisrael.com. And also I want to thank the Michel family for supporting the show. I want to thank my good friend Jack uh, who picked me up. Uh, drove me to the airport on my last trip to the United States from the from the United States to Israel. The the exact uh, uh, audio that you're listening to, my buddy Jack picked me up. He supports the show as well. Thank you so much. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, two new people that I met along the way. One in Philadelphia and one at APAC. One is named uh, Andrew Hutz, and the other one is named. Andrew Wells. These are both amazing Andrews, and my life is richer for it. Um, we're going to stay friends for the rest of our lives, and that's the opportunity of this radio show and also the opportunity to fly to the States and connect with people uh, in America and around the world who are part of the story of Israel. So if you want to be part of the story of Israel, I would, I, you know, if I can help you in any way, that's the way, you know, I, I'll do anything uh, to help you connect to the story of Israel, and I'm looking forward to staying in touch with my new friends the two Andrews, my buddy Jack, and many, many other folks uh, that are out there. All right, so the next part of the show today was actually taped on the airplane as well with a special guest star. Here we go in the Ishai Fleischer Show, continuing our trip from APAC back to the land of Israel. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show here on thelandofisrael.com. Broadcasting to the world from Jerusalem, and you're a part of it wherever you are. Right now, this show is on air. Uh, it's, Of course, you're listening to it, and therefore it's on air, but actually we're in the air. We are live in the air. We are in the air in the El Al 737, gracefully flying from JFK Airport after APAC 2016, flying from JFK to uh, Israel, to Tel Aviv, to Lod. Ben-Gurion International Airport. Uh, Natan Sharansky is on the flight. I got a selfie with him, uh, with also my uh, colleague, associate, and boss, the Director General of uh, the Jewish Community of Hebron, Uri Karzen. And I, uh, as you heard in the last half hour of the show, am uh, coming back from a mission to lobby and be lobbied and lobby together at APAC for Israel and in my case also for the right of the Jewish people to live in Judea and Samaria and Hebron and uh, if you are a regular listening listener to the show just a few months ago I was at a massive conference one in Israel that gathered actually Jews from all over the world and there was a very different con- conference because it was not just a policy conference it was also a congress i.e. we voted and this was at the World Zionist Congress the WZC uh, and there, at the Congress, I got a chance to, to interview somebody who's really inside the game of uh, Jewish and Israeli politics. And that is former Knesset member Rabbi Dove Lipman, who is also now the head of public diplomacy at the World Zionist Organization, which put on the World Zionist Congress. Rabbi Dove Lipman is actually on this flight, heading from JFK to Eretz Israel, to the land of Israel. We are uh, just a few little hours away from the fast of Esther, the Tanita Esther. So we're going to be fasting for the rest of the flight. So instead of chowing down now, I'm going to be interrupting his relaxation, his Torah study, uh, and his uh, 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 potential eating to do a little radio. Rabbi Dove Lippin, great to be with you on the 737. Thank you, Shai. It's great to be here. And I have to tell you, hearing the stewardess begin her remarks on this flight by saying, Happy Purim made me realize 
I'm going home. That doesn't happen on a flight from New York to Washington or from Washington to Los Angeles or from Texas to Florida. It happens when you're flying back to Israel, and I'm so happy that's my home. Absolutely. Uh, the the uh, captain himself also said, and, and we'll be landing at home, and I'm bringing you home. There was something, just those words, and just to know that this guy's like a jet pilot, you know, from, from, from the IDF, from the uh, Israeli Air Force, and that's what they usually are, these Israeli allowed pilots. And just to know that, that we're, you know, being piloted, to know so that there's just strong security. We know what has happened in Belgium. Last report, I heard something like 34 dead in a massive uh, multi-pronged terror attack in Belgium. Uh, a lot of people were concerned that the airport today at JFK would also be, you know, on lockdown. It wasn't. There was heightened security. But it's good to be on an LL airplane, which really feels secure, relatively, in this pretty unsecure world. Yeah, there's no question about it. I actually wrote an article a while back about, because uh, people are saying Israel's not safe. And I actually compared something called the safety index from Jerusalem compared to other cities in the world. And my friends, it's not even close. It's not even close in terms of where is the safest place to be. All of these cities throughout Europe, all of these main cities in throughout America are far less safe. But it's, it's beyond just the lack of crime and the, and the fact that it, you just feel safe. You feel safe when you're in the Holy Land. You feel safe when you have the IDF. You feel safe when you know you're under God's protection. And I just, whenever you hear about a terror attack around the world, I just can't wait to get back to Israel. Rabbi Dovlipman, it's interesting that you say this right now. As I recall, uh, you are from the D.C. area. You're from Maryland, am I right? And you also studied at Ner Israel. Yeah, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. I actually did some interning in Washington when I was younger, and I went to a rabbinic seminary in Baltimore, Maryland. So you're really from the region. Now, when I got to New York and I went to Penn Station in New York City, and I realized that there was at least three separate rail lines and two subways at Penn Station and took a fantastic train down to D.C., got out of D.C., felt the seat of power, saw the aesthetics, the Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Memorial, the Holocaust Museum, you know, the Vietnam Memorial, and the, the reflective pool, and all these things, and, and the halls of power. I actually had a chance, by the way, to present, I don't know if you know, uh, at the Rayburn Office Building, the Congressional Building, gave a briefing about uh, J- Judean Samaria issues there uh, with Congressman Lamborn. But when you're there, you're like, dang, this is nice. This, this place is nice. It's powerful. It's shiny. It is just the height of civilization. It's taken care of right. There's definitely a little bit of an awe and a little bit of a, I want to frame this, I want to frame this correctly, a little bit of like, we're not there yet in Israel. There's like a moment where you're a little, a little tinge jealous. When I walked into my Knesset office the first time, they show you your office. When I was younger, I interned in Congress and the congressmen have their office and then the, the staff has their offices. And I walked into my member of Knesset office. Yishai, I'm telling you, it's a closet of a congressman's office. It's a closet. And I said, wow, this is really, really something, just to compare the contrast between the two. And, and the truth is, on the one hand, you say, yeah, Israel has a ways to go. On the other hand, I have to be honest with you, that's not where we have to go. We're special because we're special. We're special because we're the Holy Land. And I'll take my little closet in the Knesset where I'm able to have an impact on the future of the Jewish people and the Holy Land over any large office in Washington, D.C. any day. So, uh, it, but we do, we, the, the contrast is pretty stark. You're right. Well, let's take in yet another contrast, uh, which is in the same vein, yet a little different maybe, which is APAC. This, I'll, I'll say it, I won't speak for you, but for me. 
I've been to many policy conferences. This is not my first. I was, by the way, an intern at APAC in D.C. many years ago. It's just so awesome, so polished, so shiny, and so darn big this year at the Verizon Center, seeing almost 20,000 Jews. I wish we could have had a, uh, a prayer as well there and hear a big roaring amen. The reason I say that, by the way, just parenthetically, is that when I was 13 years old, my rabbi in, uh, in, in, uh, in grade school in New Jersey took us to the Siyum Hashas, the ending of the cycle of the study of Talmud at Madison Square Garden, and it was incredible. In any case, at APAC, I felt that kind of majestic feeling once again. I felt as though it's just so well done, and it's like Jewish politics. It reminded me of back home in our beloved Holy Land, and our beloved Medinat Israel, the state of Israel, how cantankerous things are sometimes between one another, certainly with our neighbors, the wars, the conflict, the challenges, the economic challenges that we face. And you're down in D.C. with fellow Jews, fellow pro-Israel Israel lovers, and things seem easier, sweeter, and even the politics seems a little better organized, more majestic, more large. And, it, and it, it could a little bit throw kind of a question mark into your head, like, why am I on the ragged and more challenged edge of it uh, and these folks kind of get to love Israel, but they do it in a more beautiful, you know, larger and more together kind of fashion. It could throw that kind of here who that kind of down into your head. So a few thoughts uh, about that point. First of all, they're not living in Israel. They're not surrounded on all sides by people who want to destroy them. They're not walking down the street knowing that there are all kinds of illegal Palestinian workers roaming around who at any moment could pull out a knife and stab them. They're not living in a state where we're trying to de determine what does a Jewish state mean with all of the issues that are at stake. And therefore, it's easy to sit back and sort of have a nice feel-good session. But I actually, on a certain level, want it to be that way. I don't want somebody sitting back in Washington or New York or Chicago or L.A. or Texas in any way getting involved in the arguments about what should we do in Israel. That's an argument for people who are living in Israel where we have a vibrant democracy and we will duke it out in the Knesset, uh, in the cafes, at the Shabbat table, uh, because we live there and we have the democracy where we decide what we want. People outside of Israel, I actually want to just hear a unified, we support Israel, we support the security of the state of Israel, we'll do our job to try to make sure Congress does that, and I prefer for it to be clean, neat, and that the leaders around the world should recognize that that is the case. That's a, that's a very powerful uh, phrase, and, and right now you're getting your food. Go ahead, the, the vegetarian for uh, Rabbi? Lipman, Rabbi Dove Lipman. <laughs> that's good stuff. All right, so... Um, I was just trying to help you, and we're doing radio, but we're on the airplane, and you got your vegetarian. You, are you? Have you been vegetarian for long? I'm a vegetarian for two years. I became a vegetarian actually while I was in the Knesset. And not only that, you actually uh, uh, got meatless Mondays passed at the time. I think uh, that was actually what was it a law or was it an enactment <laughs> of the Knesset? It's not a law. In the Knesset cafeterias, uh, there is a meatless Monday program. It's not that there's no meat. I don't believe in coercing anybody about anything but there's more vegetarian options to bring uh -huh. awareness to the health benefits, environmental benefits, etc., to cutting down on the amount of meat that we... Is that still in play? I, I know still there. Right, because I know a lot of the decisions that were made by your party, which is the Yeshatid party, which is right now in opposition, 
and is polling very well right now. Polling at twenty-one seats, which is which is bombastic. Um, uh, a lot of enactments that they made about other issues that you care very much about, including the ultra orthodox in the army, and other issues have actually been repealed in a, in a most incredible. I would say I, I've never seen such a change of, of 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 laws and kind of like the decisions that were made in a year and a half were just summarily gotten rid of in the next term. And that's part and of is the. That, is that a right description? Absolutely. I wouldn't say completely repealed, but yes, definitely steps taken backwards. That's part of the uh, quote unquote ugliness of the vibrant democracy that we have. <laughs> Meaning, uh, there, 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 there are debates, there are heated uh, opinions, and there's the cr- crazy process of forming a government in the Israeli Knesset. And part of that is, you'll take, from my perspective, you'll take steps forward, you'll go back a little bit, take steps forward, and that's all part of the incredible process of our restaking our claim to the land of Israel and the rebirth of the state of Israel. Uh, and that's part of the... Um, challenge that we have is you know at times we make progress at times we take a step backwards and that's certainly part of um that's certainly part of living there and being part of that vibrant democracy as opposed to what you were talking about in washington where again support israel and that's what we want for people in diaspora and let us have it out in israel that's interesting you say that because i actually came up with a new formulation for me uh, the issue of jewish rights in judea and samaria is important and a lot of people in D.C. at an APAC are uh, for two-state solution. Uh, and I came up with a formulation saying, you know what? How about I don't bug you anymore by telling you that you should make Aliyah and by giving you a hard time about your lifestyle. And, and you accept my lifestyle, which is I think we have a right to our land. And how about we love each other based on the fact that we're brothers and sisters. But I won't tell you how to run your life because I'm far away and I don't know your life. And you don't tell me how to run my country, even though it's your country too, and, and you deserve to have an uh, opinion of it, b- about it, but still there is a distance. You're not on the line. So I'm going to disagree with you on both fronts there. Uh, I do believe we should be telling people to make Aliyah. I think that we who live in Israel should be calling to Jews throughout the diaspora. But they know. To if, if they, it's their choice. They're not somebody said to be. They're not in Galut. They're not in exile anymore. They're doing. They're staying there by choice. They can get on a plane. If you're pro-Israel, you know there's an Israel. Just get on the LL plane, like you and I are right now. We are, by the way, on a 737 right now, and you should be eating your vegetarian dinner. But instead, <laughs> I'm holding you up. But they're they're doing it by choice. They're not stupid. I think that we have to keep it on the radar screen. I think we have to keep talking about it. And my approach is actually, I don't tell everyone, drop everything right now and move to Israel. I understand there's careers, there's family concerns, but raise your children to move to Israel. Raise them that way, and then after you retire, uh, come and join them. So on the one hand, I do believe we should keep that voice going. And okay, we have but that's every an right, invitation. And we have every right to be doing so. On the other side, when, let's say at APAC, for example, they're talking about the two-state solution, if they were proactively, as APAC, as diaspora Jews, pressuring Israel in any way, that's overstepping the line. If they're taking a interesting tactic, which is, this is the language of the world right now, this is the best way we can reach to the leaders, then I'm very comfortable with that. And the truth is, I haven't seen them, I haven't seen in terms of APAC itself, I have not seen anyone That was the number two talking point that they took to Congress, that the the Congress should 
help facilitate a two-state solution. There's real power being exchanged here, and, and they're really calling for something that's going to affect Israel very, very much in, in, in my life. Basically, essentially empowering what I think is a jihadist, you know, entity to undermine our rights. In any case, you and I understand each other. I don't want to get into too much of the issues of, of okay. two-state, but I certainly, um, you, you and I are trying to find, and all of us Israelis that are coming to APAC are really trying to find that balance between where our brothers and sisters kind of have a right to impact us, or where do we have a right to impact them, or how do we continue our relationship across this great divide. Uh, speaking of the relationship, recently you had an opportunity to represent Israel in a moment of the a moment of the American-Israel relationship, which is kind of unusual, and that is when American servicemen, retired servicemen, uh, or former soldier, was ki- murdered, killed, uh, about a mile away from where Joe Biden was, Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, this was. Tell me a little bit about the story and your role uh, in sending off a body of a visitor uh, to the state of Israel who was murdered by terrorism. I read about this young man, Taylor Force, who is now in Vanderbilt. Was in Vanderbilt University MBA program, learning for a business. Who is part of this effort to work with Israeli companies, high tech companies, and this guy. Like you said, U.S. Army veteran, served in Iraq, served in Afghanistan, served with pride for the United States people, is strolling along on the promenade in Jaffa. By the way, a mixed city of Israelis and Arabs, Jews and Arabs together, enjoying a night, and without even knowing what happened to him, gets stabbed in the back by a Palestinian terrorist and drops dead uh, with his blood spilled on the land of Israel. I'm thinking to myself, after all this guy's been through, and then he comes to Israel, wants to partner with Israel, that's the essence of the Israeli-American relationship. We, as Israelis, cannot let him just fly home without giving him recognition. He arrived on a flight just like ours, walked out of the airport, and now he's not walking back to go to the airport. We have to do something. And I reached out to the Prime Minister's office, and I reached out to the Foreign Ministry, got their green light, got the permission, worked with the airports authority in Israel that were fantastic in terms of last minute uh, uh, arrangements and we were able to make a modest but respectful ceremony for Taylor in the Ben-Gurion airport in Israel where his casket was draped in an American flag recognizing that he's an American uh, citizen an American serviceman and the US Army has all this brass uh, in Israel dealing with all kinds of security issues they came, the number one general came to be there. We paid tribute to him, a friend of Taylor's, who, by the way, converted to Judaism and made Aliyah and lives in Israel. David Simpkins spoke about his good friend from West Point in the most beautiful words. We sang the United States National Anthem, and I felt that that was the proper send-off. I will tell you as well, I was in touch with Taylor's family just to get their permission as well. And not only were they... Uh, support uh, did, did they give the their agreement they were so touched by it and they sent a message in which they said that part of the comfort that they're finding in dealing with Taylor's death is the prayers and the messages that they've been getting from the people of Israel embracing them and hugging them during their difficult time uh, Rabbi Dov Lipman I'm sitting next to you here row 48 737 heading to uh, the land of Israel um, that was a beautiful story 
and that I think what is why uh, you were a Knesset member. Maybe we'll be again. It's that kind of um, um, uh, initiative to to on to honor and, and and to give homage to what Israel's supposed to be and the people that died for Israel and the whole story. It's just just an amazing story you just told over. Um, we are. Um, your vegetarian dinner is getting cold here. <laughs> and the reason I keep referring to the food issue is because we're just actually going to be flying into a fast. And there's many, many observant people on this flight, and we're flying into a fast. By the way, Natan Sharansky also on this flight. We're going to be uh, flying into uh, uh, the fast of Esther for a time such as this, says the scroll of Esther. And this is a fast where uh, tonight, by the way, 4,000 uh, Breslov Hasidim, uh, uh, has, uh, Hasidic sect from the from the Breslov uh, kind of faction are going to be coming to the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs and praying, and a lot of us are going to be praying. The situation is such that that prayers are needed, um, and after that, after that prayer and that fast of Esther, we're going to get to parting. Uh, we're going to be drinking. We're going to be drinking to Jewish uh, victory, to defeating our enemies, uh, to receiving the Torah once again. That is the holiday of Purim, the holiday where Jews are empowered, the holiday where we turn around apathy and make it passion and excitement for everything Jewish, for Jewish identity, for the Torah, for the Jewish fight, for the Jewish warrior. Um, and also, hidden in there somewhere, is the yearning for the land of Israel and, and the yearning to build a temple. Behind the story, uh, that's, that's where it stands. So, tell me a little bit about Purim for you this year, and... Uh, Purim post APAC 2016. So two things uh, that are really in my mind about Purim. Number one, the entire story of Purim, if you read the Megillah, the Scroll of Esther, it says that the Jewish people, Haman actually said to the king of the time in Persia, the Jewish people are scattered. They are scattered and they are essentially not unified together. And our sages understand that was the reason for the decree, the Jewish people not being unified. And when Esther hears about the decree, she says in Hebrew, Lech Knos et Kol HaYehudim. She says to Mordechai, gather together all of the Jewish people. And that was the key to our surviving that decree against us, was the fact that we recognized that we were not unified, we were polarized, and we unified together. Unity doesn't mean that we agree about everything. Unity means that even if we disagree, we recognize that we're one people, we're one nation with one lot here in our land, and we ultimately recognize that we're one family, and that's something which is often lacking in, in Israel. We started out by talking about the disagreements politically, and we have to find a way to see through that, to say, yes, we might disagree politically, but we are ultimately one people with one lot and one future together. So that's one thing I think about as we go to Purim. But I'll tell you one more thing. I won't get into the details, but there are all kinds of laws regarding when you read the Megillah, when you celebrate Purim, and the benchmark for when you celebrate Purim, according to our sages, our tradition, is walled cities like the capital of Persia was back then from the time of Joshua. Not from the time of the story of Purim in Persia, which was much later, but going back to the time of Joshua. Now, why in the world should any law about Purim relate to Joshua and the story of uh, our land of living in Israel way back when? 
and our sages explain, it's to give honor to the land of Israel. Because we don't want in any way to uh, talk about walled cities in the time of Persia and forget that there was a time when we were living and there were walled cities in the time of Joshua. What does that mean? It means that our sages were saying, we want to remember a time when Israel was inhabited. When it comes to Purim, we don't want to celebrate something that happened in Diaspora without remembering that there also was a time when Israel was inhabited. My friends, <laughs> we don't even need that law now. We are celebrating Purim in an inhabited land of Israel. It's the most incredible thing when I think about it. The entire law is to remind us that Jews once lived in Israel. We'll keep to that law today, but we don't need that reminder. We're landing in Israel tomorrow, and hundreds of thousands of people around the land of Israel will be celebrating Purim together. For me, that's the greatest sign of what we say by that a miracle happened back when in this time. The miracles are happening today. And for me, when we celebrate Purim, I will celebrate our efforts to unify the Jewish people, but I will celebrate the fact that the land of Israel is inhabited. We've lived through every decree against us, and I have absolutely no doubt that with all the, the decrees against us today as well, we will live through them, we will be stronger, and we will outlast all of our enemies just like we did back then. Amen. Amen. And we are in a flight full of Jews. This, uh, this flight is not only Jews. There are many Jews, Orthodox, non-Orthodox, men and women, and Hasidim, and all other kinds of Jews. And we are all heading together. We got this F probably this like F-16 pilot uh, taking us home on the 737 this time, flying a bit of a bigger ship. Uh, we're in row 48. You got vegetarian food waiting for you. <laughs> Fast of Esther is, uh, is coming to us. And uh, APAC 2016 is behind us. I thought that too was a Lech Knosset Kol gather all the Jews. I did feel it in that room. And I want to say I felt the love. The slogan of, of APAC 2016 was come together. I think that was a great slogan. I really felt it. And I wanted to really end with that. As a member of Knesset and in my role now, I meet members of parliament from around the world and, and people who are antagonistic towards Israel. And, and you do feel alone very often. And, and what part of what I absorbed there was we're not alone. There are 18,000 people here, Jews and non-Jews from all across North America, saying we are here supporting Israel. And there was a real embrace that I felt as an Israeli sitting there. And I certainly call on people all around the world, whether it's through APAC or any other means, to be out there. Let your voice be heard for Israel. We need it. You need it. And together, we can absolutely accomplish our mission. Rabbi Dove Lipman, former Knesset member for the Yeshatid Party, is now the head of public diplomacy at the World Zionist Organization. And uh, he was at APAC. And so was I. And so were 20,000 other Jews and other lovers of Israel, supporters of Israel. Happy Purim, everybody, from the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting on thelandofisrael.com. The Land of Israel Network is your home for amazing content, so please stay part of it. Also, uh, check out sponsors to the show, Capone Defense. The folks at Capone Defense will not only, uh, <laughs> will not only uh, train you uh, how to shoot your weapon, but they will uh, train you about how to be a, Jew a Jewish defender or how to defend like a Jewish defender. You can be part of that as well. And I want to thank you very much, Rabbi Dove Lipman, for inspiring me and getting us all ready for Purim. Happy Purim, and thanks for being part of Come Together. Thank you so much. Happy Purim to everyone. 
All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this very special show from the airport and from the airplane coming back from Washington, D.C. and to the land of Israel. Indeed, I'm here back in my chair here on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple Mount. I want you to stay connected. Check out thelandofisrael.com for more great shows. Check out hebron.com to connect with the uh, homeland, the heartland of the Jewish people. And I want to wish you a happy Purim and a happy Purim season. Purim is all about courage. It's about waking up from slumber and, and, and fighting back our enemies, pushing back and getting excited, getting heated up about everything. Judaism, Israel, the land of Israel, Jewish strength, Jewish peoplehood, love, the unity between people who love Israel and the Jewish people. There's all those issues in the, in the holiday of Purim in the, the scroll of Esther. So I want you to stay connected to that as well. Check out my feeds at Twitter and on Facebook at Yishai Fleischer. And no matter what, stay connected with the God of Israel, with the land of Israel, with the people of Israel, and with the story of Israel. And stay tuned, because more great stuff is in the way. Stay strong, and shalom.